0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, pride is a tricky thing. It's tricky because it comes in so many different shapes and sizes, and it manifests itself in so many different ways, some of them obvious and some not so obvious. Pride is something that we all have, although none of us really likes to admit it. You don't have to be invited to a banquet to vie for the seats of honor. It's a competition that we're all involved in, whether that's in our families, our workplaces, among friends, and yes, even in the church. It's why we feel gypped when something is done for someone else and not for us. It's why we lash out. others when they don't do for us what we want or what we think we deserve It's why we look down on others when they don't live up to our expectations it's why we feel slighted when we don't receive recognition for our efforts and our faithfulness it's why we get disappointed with others because pride sees the sin in them and overlooks or excuses the sin in us Yes, pride begins with our sinful selves. I am the starting point, and everything and everyone else is judged in comparison, even God. It is sin and selfishness lived out to their logical conclusion. And really, so twisted is our pride that even when we take the lowest seat, it's often with the prideful expectation of being moved higher. Humility is used as a way to receive even more praise. Even confession of sin can be turned into the pride of greater self-examination than the next guy. So pride is rightfully considered one of the seven deadly sins because it focuses all on me. And it takes our eyes off of Christ, who is the source of our life. But in contrast to all that, we have in our gospel text today, we have this man with dropsy. And he's so easily overlooked, but really, he's the key to the whole thing. He knows who he is. There's no pride with this guy. He's not one of the beautiful people. He's not popular. He's considered a loser. He's alone. He's afraid. He's marred. And he's outcast. He has nothing to give. He can only receive. He's not swelled with pride, but with the effects of his disease, making him look grotesque. He's there because the traditional piety of that time said to have your door open for the stranger and the poor, which this Pharisee did. But with the expectation that no fool of a stranger or person in need would take this seriously and actually come in. But if he did, there were ways that they could take care of that. Right? They could stare him down or make him feel uncomfortable in other ways so that maybe he'd just leave and not make that mistake ever again. After all, who wants such a person ruining a perfectly good dinner party? Or maybe to put it in terms for us, who wants such a person ruining a perfectly good divine service, for a perfectly good vacation, for a perfectly good Sunday afternoon nap, for a perfectly good, well-planned, laid out life. See, pride doesn't like messes. It likes everything where and how we want it to be. Everything and everyone nice and neatly in its place, no surprises, no inconveniences perhaps that's why there's always messes around Jesus for while this man entered through the door of the Pharisee it's not to the Pharisee that he has come but to Jesus whose door is truly an open door whose invitation is a true invitation and whose grace is true grace and when you truly open your door you know who's going to come in the poor the crippled, the lame, the blind, the sinful messes like you and me, who have nothing to give, but who have come to receive from the goodness of our Savior, his forgiveness, life, and love, the gifts he has come to give us who desperately need them. Because we know that the one who is exalted has humbled himself and come into our world. Our world filled with sin. And he has come to pull up his sons and daughters out of the pit of sin and give them life. The life that we so desperately need. And so we come not in pride, but in truth. Swelled and grotesque with the sin that we've committed again this week. With the pride we've pushed others down with this week. With all the failures and shortcomings of this week. And we repent. We use the words printed in the bulletin. But sometimes we don't even need those, do we? We stand here ashamed, speechless, with the simple silence of the dropsied man standing before our Lord in our broken nothingness. And we have the awesome opportunity to hear again this wonderful word of God that washes us clean when he says to us, I forgive you. No matter who you are, no matter what your past, present, or future, no matter how disfigured with sin, I forgive you, I love you, you are mine. If that wasn't enough, our Savior has more for us. He doesn't just invite us in and then put us in, the, in a corner or in the back. He has given us even more. He has given us, who have no right to be here in his house, a seat of honor at his table so that he can serve us. And how does he do that? He serves us with his very own body and blood, the very medicine of immortality, the food of eternal life, the fruit from the tree of the cross. For it's on the cross where the one with the highest place really took the absolute lowest place. Luke told us today that Jesus noticed how those who were invited to this feast took the places of honor. You know what that means? It means he wasn't in them. He who deserved the highest place didn't take it, but he came to be with us. The greatest became the least. The perfect one became the greatest sinner. Jesus came and took our place our sinful place at the bottom of the totem pole so that we might have his place at the head of the table, the place where the sons sit. Because in Christ, that's who you are. You are his son. And the Father loves you and exalts you with an exaltation higher than we could ever exalt ourselves. And this is so because the one who opened the door of mercy to us is the one who opened the door of the tomb. Defeating the sin and death that beats us up, knocks us down, defigures us, and holds us captive. Defeating sin and death and giving us life, a new life. Life as it was always meant to be. A life with hearts filled no longer with pride but with love. With minds filled no longer with sin but with forgiveness. With lips filled not with gossip but with prayer. Not pretending that the sin and messes of our lives aren't there, but knowing that they are, and that we can't fix ourselves, but that in Christ, there is the healing and forgiveness that we need, that we simply cannot live without. And that life became yours in holy baptism. As the Father made you his child, swaddled you, raised you, promised you a future and a kingdom that has no end. And so the words of Jesus that we heard today are not so much a lesson in humility or table etiquette as they are a gospel, a good news for you, showing the wonderful work of Jesus for you. For our Savior, who took a dropsied man and healed him and sent him on his way, has done the very same thing for each and every one of us. He has done that for you. Taking you in holy baptism, healing you with his absolution, sending you off with his food, his strength, and his blessing. Out into the callings, into the vocations, the lives, and the relationships that he has given you. So that you can do the same for others. Not because you have to, not because that's what the traditional piety says to do, but because that's what the love of God in Christ Jesus compels us to do. The gospel given to us is now also lived in us. And that, in the upside down way of the gospel, is also moving up higher. Even though to the world it looks like moving down when we pridefully try to move ourselves higher, we are really sinking deeper and deeper into sin. But in loving and forgiving and serving others who have fallen and collapsed in sin, then it was just like we heard about in the reading from Hebrews. Those strangers, those in prison, those mistreated, those under oppression. This is how we share the love of God with others. And so to be called, to be given a vocation, a higher place, even though it looks lower, it looks less desirable to the world and to our sinful natures, but as sons and daughters of God in Christ Jesus, we can now freely take our place with the least, with those who are in need, knowing that there really is no higher place to be. And this is not in order to be repaid, but because we've already received what's far beyond The price of silver or gold. The body and blood and life of Jesus. Eternal life. What will end are the things of this world. But when they do, Jesus wants you to know his door will still be open to you. For when the things of this world end for you, whether that's at the end of a long, full life, or a life ended too soon by disease or accident or tragedy. You'll enter that heavenly sanctuary where your bridegroom in his unending feast is waiting for you. If you want to picture that in your mind, think of the last wedding you were at, when the bride stood at the entrance of the church, looking to her groom, and the groom stood at the front, looking back at his bride with joy and love for her. So it will be in that day for you and me, as the Spirit leads us to Christ Jesus, and Jesus takes us to the Father as his own. That day when all sin, pride, division, heartache, pain, and tears will be forever gone. When we who have suffered here with him will there be glorified with him. Amen.